Christianity is not designed to appeal to the emotions. Emotions are designed to do this. They are to respond to the mind. And when your emotions get in front of your mind, you're going to run wild. And any brand of Christianity that appeals at the emotional level and bypasses the mind is only asking for trouble because it generates responses apart from truth. Welcome to Grace to You with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Enter a model home and rest assured the base price does not include the window treatments, artwork, upgraded appliances, all the extra features you'll see. But that's not the case when you enter the Christian life. It's a complete package with infinite spiritual riches from the moment you're saved. So what are those riches, and how do you tap into them, and how should those resources affect your decision-making, your relationships, and your worship? Get answers today on Grace to You with John MacArthur as he continues his study, Richer Than You Think. Now with the lesson, here's John. Take your Bible, if you will, and let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're examining verses 15 to 23 in our current study and looking at the resources that the believer possesses in Christ, the resources of the believer. Now Paul's got three things in mind that he wants us to understand, three magnificent, incomparable truths. One, that we would understand the greatness of His plan, two, the greatness of His power, three, the greatness of His person. Let's look at verse 18, first phrase, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now this introduces us to a very important thought. The word here in the Greek for understanding is the word kardios, from which we get cardiac. The word means what? Heart. Literally the Greek says, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Now that's most interesting. The source of spiritual enlightenment is God. We know that in verse 15 to 17 because that's Paul's prayer to God. He knows God is the source of this understanding. The channel of that understanding to us is whom? The Holy Spirit. The object of it is at the end of verse 17, the knowledge of Him. Paul is saying, God, You do it through the Holy Spirit that they may have the knowledge of Him, that you may really know God. And now here is the organ of that understanding. The source is God, the channel, the Spirit, the object that we may know Him, the organ of it is the heart. It is the heart that must have understanding. Now we've got a problem with this term, so I have to explain it to you. Because for us, the heart refers to emotions. American culture has so designated the heart to refer to emotions, how we feel. But that is not the way the ancients looked at it, and that is not the way the Jews approached it at all. And the heart, you see, to the Hebrew mind did not mean feeling, it meant thinking thinking. That's why the word cardios can be translated either heart or understanding. As a man thinketh in his, what? Heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The heart is the thinking process. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? It's the thinking, it's the will, the thinking, the understanding part. And that's true all through the Scripture. So watch this. 
The organ of comprehension for the believer is the thinking process, not the emotions. God is not trying to appeal to the emotion. He's trying to appeal to the mind and the will and the thinking, and that's what the term cardios means. Christianity is not designed to appeal to the emotions. Emotions are designed to do this. They are to respond to the mind. And when your emotions get in front of your mind, you're going to run wild. And any brand of Christianity that appeals at the emotional level and bypasses the mind is only asking for trouble because it generates responses apart from truth. When the Holy Spirit works on the believer's mind, He enriches that mind to understand divine truth that is deep and profound and thus to relate it to life. And that's exactly what Paul meant when he said to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 16, you don't need human philosophy, you don't need human wisdom, you don't need legalism, asceticism, mysticism, this is what you need. You let the Word of Christ dwell in you, what? Richly. Colossians 3, 16. That's the whole point. And I'll tell you something, if the Holy Spirit doesn't quicken the truth, it doesn't have the same effect. That's why Paul is praying, God, do this in their hearts. They know it. Maybe it's there in skeletal form. Oh, God, by Your Spirit, drive it deep in their understanding. I'll give you a good illustration of it, Luke 24, and it's just, you don't have to turn to it. I'll just remind you of it. The disciples on the Emmaus Road, remember they're walking along, Jesus is right beside them. And they've been with Jesus for three years, and what happened? They didn't know Him, right? They knew Him, but they didn't know Him. I mean, they knew, but they didn't know. They had all the information, there He was, but they didn't know. And finally, it says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him, and He vanished out of their sight. And then this comment, they said one to another, I love this, did not our heart What's that mean? Our minds, our wills burn within us while He talked with us along the way and opened to us the Scripture. You see, to have the Scripture, to have the information doesn't make your heart burn. It's when the Christ of God takes it and drives it deep in the heart that their hearts burned. And the same is true now. Christ is not here, but His Spirit is here. And His Spirit comes to us who possess the Word, and He makes it burn in our minds. That's His work. That's the eyes of your heart being enlightened, see. And what does He want us to understand when we're enlightened? The first thing I told you, the greatness of His plan. Look at it in verse 18 that you may know what is the hope of His calling and the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints." I don't know what else to say about that, folks, except that that says everything there is in the whole Bible, and I'm not going to start from the beginning to the end to tell you all of it. He just says, I hope they understand what you've got planned for them. I hope they understand what it means that you elected them and redeemed them and promised them an inheritance. I hope they understand what it means to have been called from before the foundation of the world, chapter 1, verse 4, chosen in Him, to have been redeemed in order to inherit all that there is in the kingdom of God that God could conceive for His children. Do you understand the plan, man? I mean, do you understand what's going on? That's what Paul's praying. Oh, God, may they understand that this is not some afterthought in human existence. 
This is the master plan of the eternal God forever and ever and ever. And you've been master planned into it from before the world began. That, beloved, is your identity. And Paul knows well that when you understand that, you'd be more apt to act like it. So he says, I pray that they would understand with their minds the eternal destiny of the Christian, ordained in eternity past, possessed in time, and anchored in the eternity yet to come. And Paul wants us to understand. Do you know what it ultimately means to me? All I ever think about is this. Someday I will be like whom? Jesus Christ. That to me is inconceivable, that I would be conformed to the image of His Son, that I would be like Him when I see Him as He is, that I would be a joint heir with Christ. That's God's plan, the greatness of His plan. And not only is it a great plan, but it's a rich plan. Look at verse 18. He just tells you what's involved, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. We're saints. We're the Hagias. We're the holy ones made holy in Jesus Christ, and there is an inheritance, not only an inheritance, but a gl the glory of, it is, of His inheritance, and not only that, but the riches of the glory of His inheritance. What does that mean? That just means that whatever God's got for us, there aren't words to describe it. It's too much. It's just as if Paul says it's, it just goes on and on, the inheritance, the glory of the inheritance, the riches of the glory of the inheritance. You never hit bottom. It's a marvelous magnitude of the blessings of salvation that He wants us to understand. You know, when you get an understanding of this, you realize all of a sudden who you are. You are a child of God, and that's the beginning and the end of everything. And there's nothing more to seek. I mean, this is it, folks. What else are you going to ask for besides the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? Somebody come and say, well, I think there might be a little more out there. We better seek. There's no more. Believers must understand their resources. That's the beginning. What a plan, and we're a part of it. Secondly, Paul prays that we not only understand the greatness of his plan, but the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Now, this is really kind of humorous. The Holy Spirit wrote this, but He always used the human agent. And Paul here is trying to describe how powerful we are, and he just throws in every word he can think of. In fact, there are four different words for power in verse 19 alone, four different Greek words for power. First, you see the word power, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power? That's dunamis, from which we get the English word what? Dynamite. Then there is the, it says, power toward us who believe according to the working. Notice this power is only for those who believe. It's, it's for all those who are saved. There's no more power to get. I, I, it bothers me so much when people seek more power, more power, I want more power. There's no more to get, folks. The greatness, the exceeding greatness of His power is toward us who believe, not who believe plus have a vision, who believe plus keep certain rules, who believe plus do this. It's just to those who believe. Now he goes on to say, according to the working, and he used another word, the word energeia, which is the base of our word energy. And then he goes on to say, according to the working of his mighty, and the word mighty is kratos, another word that could be translated power, is sometimes translated dominion. And then he ends with another word, power, which is iskus, which isn't the same as the other words. 
The first word, dunamis, means inherent power. The second word, energeia, means operative power. The third word, kretos, means ultimate power. The fourth word, iskus, means endowed power. And what Paul is saying is there's power, power, every way you cut it, and it's yours. And then it just bothered me. Here's some Christians saying, well, I don't know if I have the power to do that. Paul would say, that's why I'm praying for you, friend that you'll know that. We have power, inconceivable, exceeding great power. We have power to evangelize. People say, well, I'm afraid I don't have power to witness for Christ. You have a power to evangelize. Listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto what? Salvation. You have that power. You have the power to evangelize. The Apostle Paul went into Thessalonica in chapter 1, and he says, Our gospel came not in word only, but also in what? Power and assurance. Power for evangelism. Secondly, God has given to us power to suffer and endure it victoriously. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the excellency of the power may not be of us but of God. Therefore, he says, we may be distressed but we're never cast down. And he goes on to say all of those things and finally he sums it up by saying, we may bear in our body the dying of Jesus all the time but we also know what it is to have that resurrection life. Power to evangelize, power to suffer, power to do God's will. People fear they don't have the, the energy, the resource to do God's will. In Philippians 2.13, it says, it is God who works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. The power is there. Power to serve. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, it's His power working in me mightily as I labor. You say, oh, I don't know if I have that power. Yes, you do. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the Holy Spirit came upon you when? When you're saved. You have the power. In fact, you've got so much power, you're dangerous. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. Incredible. Incredible power. Do you understand that? Don't go running around looking for something more. That's an affront to the gracious, total love of God who in Christ has given us everything, everything. In fact, He wants us to get a good understanding of this power, so He gives an illustration in verse 20. It's the same power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenlies. He says, look, you may question the power of God, but look at this. It's the same power that raised Jesus and took Him to His coronation. And in case you're worried about whether or not God is going to be able to come off with His promise, whether or not God's going to get you out of the mess here to the glory there, just remember He did it in Christ and He'll do it to you because the power is still the same. That's really what He's saying. The whole message here is not so much that we understand the power for service as we understand the power for His keeping, His securing us, and fulfilling the marvelous hope that is ours in Christ. I suppose all of us doubt now and then and wonder whether God's going to really be able to pull it off. He pulled it off with Christ. 
He raised him out of the grave. He splattered the bands of death. He shattered the chains, and Christ came bursting forth alive, and he drew him to his side at heaven and crowned him King of kings and Lord of lords in majesty forever, and he'll do the very same thing for you. The Bible says he'll raise you out of the grave, and you will sit with him in the Father's throne. And it says just no reason to be insecure because the same power that raised Christ and brought him to his coronation will do the same for you. So he says, I hope... God, that you'll help them by your Spirit to understand the greatness of the plan and the greatness of the power that will make the plan happen. And then he says, thirdly, that they'll understand the greatness of His person, His person. And he goes on to talk about Christ in verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all." He just moves from talking about the resurrection and the coronation of Christ into talking about the majesty. His might is matched by His majesty. You know, it's so important that we know who it is that's in us. We have Christ. Christ secures us. Christ empowers us. Christ makes the promises of God, yea and amen. It is Christ who holds us. You don't have anything to fear, nothing to lose. Everything is possible. Nothing more to seek. It's Christ here. What could be more? He giveth not the Spirit by measure. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy was getting kind of timid and he was getting kind of beaten down. He was getting discouraged in his ministry. And some of the people were hassling him because he was young, and some of them were hassling him about his doctrine, and some Ephesian errorists were confusing him, and people were stringing out genealogies, and, and Timothy was kind of petering out of his ministry, and so he was getting a little bit discouraged, and Paul says, listen, fella, you better fan the flame a little bit, man. You better stir up the gift of God that's in you. You better get the act back together. Take a little wine, get your stomach organized get your gift organized, and then he says, above all, do this, 2 Timothy 2.8, remember the Lord Jesus Christ, born of the seed of David, risen from the dead. What does that mean? He's saying, remember the greatness of the person who lives within you. Born of the seed of David, that's His humanness. He understands. He is sympathetic, risen from the dead. That's His deity. He is enabling and powerful enough to accomplish all His goodwill through you. Remember who He is, and remember He's in you. That's the essence of it. And I tell you, that's what every Christian ought to focus on. That's why the Bible says to gaze into the glory of the Lord and you'll be changed into His image by the Holy Spirit. If we focus less on our psychological problems, less on our little spiritual problems, less on the little ditties that we do, and more on the person of Jesus Christ and understood more His power and understood how it is that He is in us, we would be free from a lot of the hang-ups. It bothers me so much that we read so many books on all the peripheral things and so few on Jesus Christ. When's the last time you read a book about Jesus Christ? Who He is. His might matches His majesty. So He says, oh God, may they understand His person. He is far, verse 21, far above all principality, arche, and power, exousia. Arche is the word for the first leader. Exousia is the one for the second leader with delegated authority. He says, I don't care whether they're good or bad angels, principalities and powers and dominions and all these other things, those are all names of angels, all titles and ranks of angels. He's far above all the angels. 
He is above every name that is named, which means every person in the universe, anyone with any identity is under Him in this age and in the age to come, and He has put all under His feet, gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, and the church which is His body is nothing more than the fullness of Him that filleth all. Beloved, we are filled with Him." That's what He's saying, incredible thought. We are filled with His fullness. And I'm telling you, as you get a grip on the greatness of the plan and the greatness of the power, all made possible by the greatness of the person. It's going to change the way you live. It has to. Nothing supersedes Jesus Christ. There's no greater power. No one can ever change anything that He's planned because no one has greater power. No one can love you more. No one can ever do more because He's impotent compared to Christ. No one can ever love you more because He is loved by nature, and so we're secure in Him. Great truth. Hebrews 1 tells us He's above the angels. Philippians 2 tells us He's above every name that is named, so that every knee should bow of things in the earth and under the earth. And Paul reminds us here that He is the one who is head over everything, even the church, which is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. That last verse, if we had the time, we could spend hours studying. Do you realize that you are the fullness of Christ in the world? He's chosen to radiate Himself through you. So He made a great plan, and so He energizes the plan, and so He dwells within us to bring the plan to fulfillment. No wonder Paul says we are huper nike, super conquerors in Christ. No wonder he says later in Ephesians at the close of the book in 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth and so forth, and all we need to do is take the armor of God. And then backing up to verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It's all available to us. He needs us, beloved, to be His fullness in this world. John Calvin wrote these words, this is the highest honor of the church that until He is united to us, the Son of God reckons Himself in some measure imperfect. What consolation it is for us to learn that not until we are in His presence does He possess all His parts, or does He wish to be regarded as complete." What a fabulous thing. He is in us now, and in that sense, He is scattered. And one day when we go to be with Him, He will be united. Paul prays that we'll understand it. That's what I pray for you. Let's bow together. My prayer, Father, for these people and for myself as well is not that we would find something more. That's foolish. There is nothing more. But that we would understand the everything we already have. And I pray with the Apostle Paul, O oh God, May these dear people, your people, called by your name, redeemed by your blood, indwelt by your Spirit, may these people have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, in the knowledge of your Son, that they may live with confidence, that they may live with power, that they may live with a secure faith that literally transforms their life to the praise of your glory. 
we offer ourselves as an act of worship to you to so live that you are made manifest through us and receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur here on Grace to You. He's chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary, both in the Los Angeles area. And today's lesson was part of John's study titled, Richer Than You Think. Well, it's a pivotal day. This is the day after Thanksgiving here in the United States, and most people are having a holiday from work. So traditionally, this has been a big day for Christmas shopping. And John, for listeners who may be looking to get Christmas gifts for their loved ones today and this weekend, I know you have some recommendations that have spiritual value. Right. Uh, This is the day we all eat turkey sandwiches at our house, the day after Thanksgiving. And secondly, my suggestion is for this day, don't go shopping at a store. Right. That is the one thing that I have never done. I think I think it's the worst shopping day of the year. Yeah, they call it Black Friday. Yeah, and people beat up each other to grab the the next sweater or whatever. So you don't need that. But I have a better plan for you. Uh, just stay right where you are. Go to the Grace to You website, gty.org, and uh, start filling up your Christmas list. And start with the MacArthur Study Bible uh, in the New American Standard Translation, the New King James, the ESV versions, uh, beautiful editions, um, calfskin, high-grade leather, hardback, some other kinds of soft covers. There, there are all kinds of them available to you. And uh, fill up your Christmas list with MacArthur Study Bibles. That is the gift of a full library contained inside the pages of a Bible so that you have the Bible being explained as you read. And great, great gift. And then with that, you might want to also give a companion gift, the MacArthur Daily Bible. It takes the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, breaks it down into 365 daily devotional readings. And here's some good news. With every MacArthur Study Bible or Daily Bible you purchase from us, we'll include a free copy of a book called One Foundation. One foundation. You will love this book. We don't have a complete supply. As long as it lasts, we'll send them out free. Collection of essays put together to commemorate Grace to You's first 50 years of ministry. So that'll be a gift while they last when you purchase a daily Bible or a study Bible. And if you really want to go all out, the MacArthur New Testament Commentary Series is available Commentaries on uh, Matthew to Revelation, verse by verse, 34 volumes. Great Christmas gift for someone who regularly teaches from God's Word. Might be a wonderful gift as well for a church library so your congregation could use it. Reasonable prices. uh, Stay home. Don't fight the crowd. Order Christmas gifts from Grace to You. That's right, friend. Take advantage of the opportunity to give your loved ones something that will bless them long after the Christmas decorations come down. Ordering is easy and shipping is free on U.S. orders. So place your Christmas orders today. Call us toll-free at 800-554-7223. That number is easy to remember as 800-55-GRACE. Or to purchase the MacArthur Study Bible, the Daily Bible, or a MacArthur New Testament Commentary Volume, 
go to our website, gty.org. And with every Bible you buy, we'll send you a free copy of the book, One Foundation. As John said, it's a collection of essays put together to commemorate Grace to Use First 50 Years of Ministry. To place your order, call 855-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. And if you'd like to listen to or download any message from John's study, Richer Than You Think, those are all available free of charge at our website, along with 3,500 other sermons, basically every message from John's 51 years of pulpit ministry. Those messages are free to download at gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, reminding you to watch Grace to You television this Sunday on DirecTV Channel 378. Or check your local listings for Channel and Times. And then be here next week when John begins a series on the foundations of Christian living and spiritual growth. We call it Back to Basics. Don't miss another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace to You. Grace to You.